Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I am joined by Amy Rose Deffley, a photographer, and Tamar Alifon, a sports nutritionist and writer, who together are working on an incredible project called Masculinity. Masculinity is a documentary-style photo project which shines a spotlight on professional sportsmen who are often respected and idolised men for their body image, strength, both mentally and physically, and masculinity. Through their project, Amy and Tamar spoke to a range of men about body image, muscle dysmorphia and disordered eating which is what we're here to chat about today. Hello, Amy Rose and Tamar. Hi. Hi, Anna. How's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm so sorry I pronounced your name wrong. I'm trying so hard. That's all right. You were right the first two times. No, I know. It's because it's I wasn't thinking. I was just like, hello. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done? That's right. You've got that bit out of the way now. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thank you both so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to talk to you. And I'm also so excited because this is the first like three person podcast I've done. Um, so it's very exciting to have two people talking to me. So I just wanted to start today by giving everybody listening sort of an overview of your project. Um, so do you want to start just by telling us what masculinity is and your motivations and aims for the project? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so far we've photographed, uh, well, we will have photographed 26 athletes um, and they're across all different sports. Uh, so we've got sort of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, fighters, um, uh, powerlifters, strongman, uh, bodybuilders, Formula 3 racing drivers. Um, and the idea is to just kind of ask them uh, and it's all about kind of personal narratives, like what the idea and concept of masculinity means to them. Um, so we're, we're not sort of like um, professional, professional psychologists or anything like that, but I'm a photographer, Tamar's a writer, and we just kind of thought like, what could we do here to sort of use our best skill sets to make these inquiries um, with these men? And it's just been like a really interesting journey, I think, for the both of us as well, especially as women, <laughs> trying to put together a book and a project about men. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a journey that we've been on so far. And so why did you think to start it? Um, so, right, so the, the kind of the instigator for this whole project, um, so I'm a powerlifter, Tamar's powerlifter as well, but she also does some strongman stuff. Um, wow. That's <laughs> yeah, she's all over it. Um, 
Um, last last year at the start of lockdown, I'd um, put together a project about female powerlifters um, called Power. Um, my main job is the wedding photographer, and I sort of like found myself in lockdown with with no work really. Well, it was all kind of postponed. So I thought, right, I need to keep shooting, need to keep myself busy. Uh, so I ended up traveling all over the UK and just kind of networking with these female powerlifters and just kind of documenting how they were training from home um, and decided to produce a book. Um, a lot of the feedback I then kind of got from producing that sort of women's book was like, are you going to do more for men? Um, and then there was just sort of like one morning where I'd spotted uh, an Instagram post by Powerlifting Motivation, which is like... But I know you're into powerlifting as well, Hannah, but it's like one of the first accounts that you follow when you get into powerlifting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a post um, kind of about male body acceptance, um, but it really wasn't about acceptance. It was basically just totally slamming it. Um, it was sort of saying powerlifting is not an excuse to be, be a sloppy fuck. Sorry for the language. Mm um not an excuse wow. to be weak and there was sort of pictures of men with sort of body hair like uh, stretch marks all that kind of thing mm. we like I immediately sent it to Tamar because there was like there was no fight back in the comments Ooh, my phone. sorry about that <laughs> that's all right <laughs> um, there was no there was no fight back from the comments in the comments yeah. from men and it just like there was the odd one from women as well um so yeah, I sent it to Tamar and we kind of had a discussion and it was like, we're, we've kind of got to do something about this because as women, I feel like we've got a bit more platform to talk about body acceptance. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of grew from there really. Like, uh, yeah, Tamar, I think you'd agree your response to that post is pretty similar to mine. Yeah, because we'd spoken kind of loosely about working together on a book about men, hadn't we? And it was really that was the, that was the catalyst for it. Um, and from my perspective, working as a sports nutrition coach, I work firsthand with men who are equally, <laughs> if not sometimes more even, affected by disordered eating, perhaps because they don't feel that there's as much understanding around it for men to deal with these things and you know dealing with these men one-on-one -on -one, I, I really see the need for help in that area so it was really harrowing when we read through the comments on that particular post the kind of pack mentality of all the men that were, were responding you know and, and, and agreeing basically to these very negative um, body messages mm. that had been put, you know portrayed there and um, I, of course, was left wondering, well, what is the reality <laughs> behind yeah. those men's opinions? Uh, are they really speaking their truths about that? So, yeah, we, we just, you know, we're in agreement that now was the time to kind of try and do something. Um, yeah. And I think with Amy Rose's is her work, um, her beautiful uh, documentary style photography, it's a really... Uh, unique and creative way to actually approach these subjects it's a bit different you know yeah. there's lots of talk about oh you know we need to address these issues we need to speak about it men need to speak up more we need more awareness but I haven't really seen it done through the medium of photography and I think that's what makes this book and this project so unique really yeah and 
I couldn't agree with you more. Like I've had a lot of conversations with whether it's people like that are struggling with an eating disorder or that work in eating disorders. And we're like, you know, what, where do we go next? It's great that we're having these conversations. People are sharing their stories, but every single person has says we need to get creative. We need to do something different and attract different people into that circle. And that's exactly what you guys have done. You know, you've taken, people that stereotypically we think are oh, they're you know they're very masculine they're very physically strong therefore mentally they must be strong and they can take anything mm-hmm. um but and that's why I think it's so great what you're doing because you are literally just taking that creativity and just like absolutely going for it Tamar's just been lovely about my photos but it's her writing as well like we both use the skill sets that we have available yeah. like you know we're both professionals in this field so this is what is kind of comes naturally to to us to express ourselves in that way but equally it's just as it's about the personal narratives it's about our experience with photographing and with interviewing these athletes and kind of trying to show them their human side as much as possible really and yeah just just to add to that really what I was going to say is kind of parking back to to what you said earlier Amy Rose the fact that, that we're not mental health professionals (laughs) Um, and not once have we tried to put a spin or an angle on anything we're not trying to fix these men I certainly haven't put words in their mouths so to accompany Amy Rose's work all I've done really is interview them and just try to use these images in the book as a platform Mm. to get their personal experiences across um we're just kind of putting it together but it's really about them I think like um you know from from our experience as well people if if they're able to relate and the way people do that is by telling stories uh of personal experiences and I think that's kind of the most powerful language I guess to talk about these kind of issues yeah I would absolutely agree and that's the whole reason I started this podcast was for people to be able to share their story and you know it's very different when you have somebody with lived experience to kind of listen to that and then be able to relate to it. Um, the kind of question I wanted to ask you, cause you kind of touched on it before with sort of like body acceptance and the disordered eating in men is, you know, nowadays in society, I think there's a, a massive rhetoric, you know, like women are under a lot of pressure to look a certain way. And I'm not saying that that's not true in the slightest, because I think it definitely is. There's, a lot of ideals that are pushed onto women but equally I think those ideals are just as strong for men so why do you think that they're not I mean I I don't personally think that they're as spoken about it's you know there's a lot of women saying we shouldn't look like that but I don't see men necessarily saying that carry on Tamar you'd be better at this one (laughs) no I I don't know that I'd necessarily be be better but I think from you know interviewing the guys from speaking to them they there is this general feeling that you know through advertising through media um you know men's glossy fitness magazines not to name drop any um (laughs) there's a lot of uh, virtue signaling but actually for guys things like this in this domain is always a little bit behind (laughs) the progress that's being made for women yeah and so this is one of the reasons why we wanted to do the project we it's like you know there's this undercurrent I feel like there's this undercurrent and a real need for it and people are just starting to 
get the confidence and the nerve to speak up about these these things but there's still a huge amount of catching up to do um, for it to get to the the level of acceptance that we as women are getting to enjoy now I like I think also like if we look at the concept of masculinity like how much it's shifted over the last like couple of decades like men had a pretty like sort of straightforward role they were a breadwinner they were this that and the other um and now almost like I think there's some nervousness maybe from men about being able to talk about gender roles and what's okay for women to talk about and what's okay for men to talk about um and like it's only kind of by sharing these these experiences that like we can kind of understand what's going on in each other's minds uh, and then sort of you know men can understand a bit more about themselves as well I think yeah absolutely and I, I think like I've already said I think that's why it's so important so I think like there are a lot of pressures on men um and I wouldn't I kind of wanted to explore those a bit with you to see what came up um when you were doing your project so in terms of the sort of I mean, I've got a list as long as my arm, but the generational, environmental, societal, emotional, mental pressures, you know, also the sort of aesthetic pressures. Where do you think they came from? And why do you think they're still present when, like you've said, women are sort of like the gender roles and stuff have been made a bit more flexible but and I'm going to talk about this specifically from my perspective in sports so in the gym why that hasn't gone because it's it's still so clear especially in the gym whenever I go in there um I mean I've got um a quote from one of the athletes uh Julian who's a bodybuilder that might help um in like maybe point a few pointers on those those things um so I'm just literally going to read paraphrase him um so traditional masculinity I use that term intentionally but it almost feels dangerous to talk about like you'd be shouted at because somehow it's been become synonymous with chauvinism I've always had an obsession with needing to achieve, not questioning who it's for or exactly why I do it, but it's definitely an insecurity. I have to be on top of my game to feel good about myself or hit certain milestones to build up my self-worth, whether that be test scores or winning an athletic event or bodybuilding contest. I feel my best when I've won or achieved something. I know that it isn't healthy, but it's the way my brain functions. Um, so I don't know, like I feel like there's a, there's a lot in there that... I don't know, we can take away, <laughs> yeah. I think that quote sums it up so well because I'm from what I'm hearing, basically what he's saying is that he's not sure who he's doing it for, but he just knows that he needs to be the best. And I think mm. that's often the, the sort of thing with a lot of the masculinity traits and what I've seen from when it goes into sort of like building muscle in the gym and kind of appearing that way you want to be that quote-unquote alpha male um, and then there's that sort of fight to get to the top and I think people can get trapped in that and that's when the difficulties then occur but at the same time that quote-unquote alpha male is also regarded as you know odd like he's so big like I wish I was like him which doesn't then give people the space to say you know actually yeah I like going to the gym but it's gotten to a point where it's a bit out of control now and I I don't feel like I have a 
kind of grip on it because I feel like I have to do this. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the things about um, aesthetic strength, looking strong, it's like wearing your achievements. So for men who look strong, who want to portray that image of looking strong, really, when you kind of read the subtext of that, what we're also looking at is saying, um, I'm a high achiever, I'm very dedicated and motivated, <laughs> uh, I'm very in control of my life, I can achieve whatever I put my mind to. So if a man walks into a social scenario looking strong, feeling his best aesthetically, it almost sends out multi-directional messages around that as well. So I, I think that's um, one of the things that definitely comes into play. What I would say is that, you know, every single man that I spoke to throughout the interviews did look back to their upbringing, um, their, you know, from their grandparents to their parents to even their siblings, their brothers, you know, that they may have looked up to. Um, and there definitely is a generational um, curse when it comes to men struggling to show a range of emotions. So I use the word range specifically because men will have all said to me throughout this project, oh, I struggle to show emotion. Um, I don't know how to cry or, you know. But actually what they're saying is I struggle to show a range of emotions that um, I feel safe with. <laughs> so for a lot of men, they feel safe with showing anger, uh, you know, confidence, maybe assertiveness, aggression, but it's very rare that they have made peace with vulnerability just mm -hmm. yet. So that has been an underlying uh, thing for most men, I believe. You know, some of them have commented that, uh, one bodybuilder in particular uh, commented saying that he didn't know his dad had emotions until he'd reached about the age of 30. He'd never seen his dad upset about anything before, you know. So there's a lot of um, kind of copying uh, mm -hmm. from the environment and the role models that have been set. But I think um, then looking at the world we live in today, and the environmental uh, influences, the, again, harking back to media, um, societal pressures. What we're really seeing is the, the heat, the dial being turned up on these things and other factors being thrown into the mix, which just confuses men even more. Um, this isn't exclusive to men. I think this is for us as women as well. We get just as confused, right? Mm. Um, yeah. But it's definitely a multifaceted issue. There's, you know, it's not that there's a case where each of these men struggle with one problem that we're talking about here. It's a collective of them all. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about the sort of the vulnerability thing. Do you think that's what I think like a lot of your participants and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you were kind of doing with them was like showing their sport and then showing that they, there was something else to them. Do you think that, and again, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on the gym here, so I'm sorry that I'm not like expanding that, but that building that sort of 
image do you think that's a way of hiding that vulnerability because it's sort of like well if I look big then I must appear strong and mentally that must mean that like nobody can get to me I think it's like pretty well-known fact like so I recently photographed some um, like bodybuilding competitions behind the scenes for um, a new federation called Fitex and um, like I think it's pretty well known that a lot of bodybuilders can be quite insecure and this this is what where our idea of our idea of the the name masculinity came through so with the photos we photograph um the athletes like at work which is a lot of them are coaches so they kind of look like they're about to do some training anyway um <laughs> we'll we'll photograph them doing their sport um like family or social lives or whatever so the idea is they kind of put on you know it's a play on words that that is potentially a mask that they're wearing for each part of their life because each each you know potential part of their life would come with a separate pressure to the other and yeah like Tamar saying it's heightened when they're athletes because um say for example um Callum Slattery who's a, a premiership footballer plays for Southampton like you know he um he gets taught sort of like from the age of 16, I think it was to, you know, how he should act on video because he's going to constantly get bombarded with press and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So um, I think that, yeah, totally scrutinized. Uh, so in a way, like it's understandable that you'd kind of potentially want to put on that mask or like play, play into that role um, because it's, I don't know, is it easier? <laughs> um, yeah so that that was yeah that's kind of where the idea for masculinity came from mm-hmm. um and I think it's in it's important that we do kind of show those different sides so it's not that they are just an athlete although that might be what they're known for especially through social media um and again like uh you know Julian the bodybuilder who I just quoted from um he's expecting a baby um and he's sort of like totally pulled away from doing any competitions because he doesn't feel like he can commit himself to um, being in prep and also be the father figure that he really wants to be. Like he's, he really wants to sort of like set out and be a good role model for his child. And I, you know, I applaud that obviously, because I think like the idea again of role models just opens up a whole other can of worms. And I think, um, what we're learning is it really just kind of starts at home more than anything rather than sort of looking at these figures that we see online um and we are putting these people on a pedestal constantly as well um but yeah having having those positive male role models in sort of day-to-day life I think would make a huge difference to yeah vulnerabilities and mental health issues and all that kind of thing and do you think that through you know I think I can't remember what you said just I think you said is it easier to put on a mask I I think I do agree with you I think it is possibly not easier but it, I think it's the fear of how will people respond if I am vulnerable um but do you think that through being more vulnerable that will allow the next generation to maybe be more vulnerable and then you know sort of allow people to be who they want to be and not have to hide behind that mask well there's the whole kind of saying of strength and vulnerability I think it's um 
definitely like it is more um applauded now uh even even with men but perhaps this is still in kind of a shifting time for us really um in terms of like putting on uh masks and if it's easier so um Tamar hasn't actually interviewed him yet but um I photographed um a wrestler on Saturday um his Mm. dad is um sorry he's kind of well it's a performance really he he called wrestling um aggressive ballet I was like is is this a sport and that was his term for it but apparently there's a ton of different terms that you could use to describe wrestling um and he's um he's really really into acting and so actually to kind of meet this guy in real life he's very kind of shy and unassuming and like really quiet like doesn't really command like a lot of presence necessarily when he walked into a room but um put him as his wrestling persona and yeah no fun done he comes and stops the fun so that's his thing like he he will shout at you the audience he'll kind of really go into this role of this character that he's built in his head uh I found that really interesting and I was kind of like I wonder if I could dig around here why why has he kind of developed this character um but what I did like uh about wrestling and I found this really interesting is each of the the wrestlers does develop kind of their own kind of alter ego and they are all very individual so I think that's probably quite a positive thing for like you say the next generation to see as well like it's encouraging that um yeah creativity and um authenticity well say authenticity they're sort of like you know stepping into this person that they've decided who they want to be um and I think that's quite a cool concept really um but like you know I found it I would find it really challenging um because I feel like I'm quite consistent sort of like as Amy Rose in whatever area of my life if I were to Mm. talk about my masks as a female um so I like I couldn't imagine like wrestling someone or throwing a punch at someone or like even shouting at anyone so I just I think it's amazing that he can just almost transform himself and become this character that's so far removed from who he is as a real person um I guess that's yeah that's what actors do as well isn't it so (laughs) yeah so not all the the masks are negative and again that's not something that we're trying to suggest with this just kind of picking up on what Amy Rose was saying Mm -hmm. and um certainly for some men uh the masks are a bit of a coping mechanism uh and that's what they've done to protect themselves but also talking about like that that alter ego that makes me think of Josh Maley uh Mm -hmm. another one of the bodybuilders uh he when he spoke to me was saying how um shy he was how much he lacked in confidence growing up uh, even now he's not the loudest person in the room he's, he's quite happy to be a quiet observer in a room um but he and he was petrified before going on stage for the first time but the moment he stepped on he said it, it was just like it was electric he was a different person he suddenly had all this confidence he'd gone from being this super shy person to someone who was like in a pair of white fronts on a stage in bronzer <laughs> you yeah. know he like absolutely oozing confidence and he's now got this whole stage persona where he's mm. called the viking and it's a real creative outlet for him and it, and it does give him an opportunity to kind of explore 
being this confident person yeah. that he doesn't necessarily feel in his day-to-day life yeah I do often and I don't know whether this is a healthy thing or not but I do often say to myself fake it till you make it like I am sometimes a very quiet shy person but when I come on this podcast I am chatty Hannah and you know I keep doing that and then that's who I am so I, I think sometimes like you say it can be a really a really good positive and then you know it then allows you to develop better social skills or you like really achieve different goals one thing I did want to ask you and it reminded me is I saw um on your Instagram earlier I was just having a little browse through and there was I can't remember his name but there was a guy I think he used to power lift and then he had an injury and he had to stop power lifting and he really struggled with that and so that to me was something that like really stuck out to me because I think for such a long time I was Hannah the power lifter um Hannah the like tiny power lifter that was super strong and that became my identity so I guess what I wanted to ask you was do you think that can be dangerous when that does become your identity and how would you sort of how do you think people should whether that is a good thing maybe or a bad thing I don't know I kind of want to know what you think about that this, this is something else that's cropped up quite a bit uh, throughout um, certainly with one or two of the athletes that we've spoken to and that Amy Rose has photographed who retired also and uh, a recurring theme has been this real uh, close link between their identity and what they see as their purpose in life it all becomes one big sort of mesh together and unfortunately if you do perhaps limit yourself to what you do your sport being your identity who you are your one purpose in life when you retire or you get really badly injured as Martin was, the the gentleman that you were talking about Mm -hmm. in that post, he ends up in a wheelchair. Um, And although he's rehabilitating now, of course, he can't, you know, lift in the the capacity that he was. Um, But when when he lost powerlifting, he had this real, it was like a death, a bereavement to him. It was like this, this person had gone. And he spent a long time trying to reconcile who he was uh, and he speaks about in the book about how then he started to like tinker on his car to see, you know, see if he could get into that instead. And then talking about like painting some days and just trying to find something else. Mm. And so I think that would be a really healthy take home as well for any uh, men and women <laughs> who who read this um, to not put all their eggs in one basket, to not... absolutely define themselves by a sport I've been there myself as well like with the whole like I am a power lifter that is what I do I spend 20 Um, hours a day in the gym lifting yeah (laughs) it has a shelf life it's not a fulfilling uh well-balanced life you you need to explore avenues I think you need other hobbies other interests you need family you need to fit you know talking about men be a partner, be a husband, uh, be um, a dad, be a brother, be an uncle, you know, put energy into your personal life as well. 
the my experience of this kind of loss loss of identity type thing is like probably a bit more current uh so obviously i'm female and uh this is a different story perhaps with me but uh like at the start of the pandemic as well um i did exactly the same thing like i defined myself as um power lifter photographer uh like pretty sociable person and then all of a sudden i wasn't able to do any of those things so it's very strange place where you totally lose a sense of what how you defined yourself and then you realize well actually these were just these labels that I gave myself um Mm. no one other people didn't even see me that way you know like when you're talking to someone you've got sort of your idea of how you are presenting yourself to them and then they've got their own idea so um you know I think realizing that those are kind of like your conditioned mind to sort of think okay this is who I am and perhaps detaching from that slightly and realizing that you're still a very worthy person just without those labels and those um yeah masks I guess (laughs) I absolutely love that when you just said that's the way you saw yourself not how other people saw you because I think we do get very wrapped up in I am this thing and because I think I'm this thing everybody else does but then if you said to your friends or family you know your loved ones how would you describe me I highly doubt all three of us anybody would have said oh you're the power lifter maybe someone that didn't know us very well but the people that we genuinely cared about would have said so many other characteristics that are so much more important than oh yeah she lifts weights mm-hmm. yeah and that's not sort of the extent of who we are like <laughs> yeah 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 definitely. and and really what you just said amy rose as well about um self-worth and self-acceptance I think that is a really key thing here and and, uh, this is a universal issue for people hinging their self-worth on on things like that, on on sport, on what they do or what they look like, for example, and not for any of their inner qualities. Yeah, and that like a big part to the photographs as well um, is we, I wanted to explore um, say like athletes in their off season as well like uh you know bodybuilders when they're bulking rather than stage lean because that's just you don't tend to see those photos um like on social media and that kind of thing so um yeah just embracing all the kind of human elements to an athlete I think is that's kind of what drove me to photograph the way photograph the athletes the way that I have done although it's kind of like a natural thing for me to shoot in that way I think that was kind of what I was really looking for was the human rather than just the athlete or this you see what I mean yeah I think it's great I look I just love the concept because you sort of explored the person for everything that they are and you know I think the quotes helped that so much and it was just it's just all so emotive which I think is another aspect that's so great because we I think stereotypically do see men as being not as emotional as women so having them be so honest about how they're feeling I think was like really important um and just as you were talking about the bodybuilder I wanted to ask you a question kind of get your opinion on it so I think I don't know which bodybuilder it was that said this quote but it really stuck out to me in that he said um that like the commonness of body dysmorphia in bodybuilding and I think he said something like I'd I'd be a fool to say that body dysmorphia wasn't in bodybuilding and I think you know 
unfortunately, he is kind of right in that, that in the nature of the sport, you are constantly striving to better yourself, to look better. You're competing against somebody for the aesthetic. So do you think that we just sort of accept that body dysmorphia will be present? Or do you think it's something that we should sort of create a space for people to be able to talk about whilst acknowledging that it is there, but kind of saying it's okay that it's there, but this is also a safe space and you can be open about the fact that sometimes you do feel uncomfortable or you do see things that maybe aren't what's actually there. We've, we've talked about this a little bit recently because um, I we've discussed whether, so that was Josh who, who wrote um, that quote, or said that quote rather, um, and like we've discussed, like myself with Tamar, if if she would go into a competition prep and kind of go, push herself to to those levels, and I think with Josh, like he's perhaps made made peace with the fact that he has like OCD and body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. and like I've met him quite a few times now, and he doesn't he doesn't appear to be, um, and this is just as he's about to step on stage, he doesn't appear to be stressed or anxious or he just he's very very chilled he knows exactly what he's doing and I actually from encountering him in person those those signs aren't written all over him like you know I would say perhaps some bodybuilders who I've encountered just before they're about to go on stage you can see that the sport has kind of eaten them up sadly a little bit like they they are really consumed by all of those issues and perhaps they haven't quite made peace with them in some way but maybe maybe it's experience with Josh as well like he's been doing it I think he was a swimmer initially but I think he's been bodybuilding since he was 18 or something and now he's like 33 so he's done a lot of shows I think bodybuilding even earlier than that I think his first um, competition was 18 maybe I'm I'm not sure um (laughs) so I think experience has probably got a lot to do with it but um yeah, like, I mean, myself as well, not obviously being a bodybuilder, but um, through powerlifting, like, um, Tamar knows all about my struggles as well with, like, I, it wasn't sort of a, an official diagnosis, but I used to have really kind of uh, poor, like, sort of self-esteem and low, um, you know, I, perhaps went into body dysmorphia territory, but, um, and this was kind of come from, um cutting the weight categories for powerlifting um and it was very much like you know if you can't sort of stay in that place then you're a bit of a failure kind of thing which was you know that narrative is just it's not one that I hold now um and I can see that sort of in hindsight the journey that I've went on with that um now I've kind of come to terms with all those thoughts that I used to have about myself um and I feel like you know, I'm in a good place with those things now. Uh, but that that wouldn't have happened within the first year or two of training. That's come from like having a really good coach, a nutrition coach, and like who was Tamar at the time. And um, <laughs> thank you. Shameless yeah. plug. <laughs> um I was like, I'm gonna have to say it's Tamar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, she sort of taught me these ways to, um, yeah, view myself in a much more healthy way. And, you know, I'm so grateful for that. But I also think it's the fact that, you know, perhaps I sort of had to go through a few of those things to now have this place where I'm at. And, um, yeah. 
but yeah, to, Tamar, you we were sort of thinking whether you'd you'd ever do a a stage prep for bodybuilding. Mm, yeah, it's a bit of an experiment. Um, it is a really bizarre one. I think specifically thinking about the topic of bodybuilders, Hannah, which is what you raised this question with, because it does take a certain set of skills to be able to do a bodybuilding prep and to make a success of it. And a lot of people get halfway through their first cycle and they can't cut it. Like they, they quit before they've even stepped on the stage. Ironically, if you have OCD, body dysmorphia, <laughs> those are the things that are probably going to make you really good at doing something like uh, bodybuilding. And, and interestingly, you said earlier about this competition with other people on the stage, but a lot of the feedback I've had from these men is the competition with themselves. Yeah. It's the constant, constant scrutiny of, oh, are these muscles symmetrical? What do I need to do to build that up a tiny bit there, dial that up a bit there? Um, just tweaking, tweaking, tweaking constantly to get that extra like half a percent on everything. Relentless, you know, unforgivingly relentless with mm. themselves. Um, it's like a, almost a, it, it's a craft, a skill. It's like a, a sculptor maybe chipping away at their body. Um, but to an onlooker, it can really be this very uh, kind of unforgiving thing you know not having an off day um struggling for balance so a lot of them in the off season that's when the the actual real kind of disordered behaviors kick in because everything that they restricted from um you know getting up to stage point they then you know will often have an onslaught of that after they've stepped on stage and um I don't know if you could have, oh, it's really hard to know how to, to word this or project this, but I don't know if you could have bodybuilders with the same standard of physiques, yeah. I think is what I want to say, that they're putting on stage yeah, without some level of disordered behaviours. I would completely agree. And I've had this conversation with one of my friends, who I think we're doing a podcast with tomorrow, actually, um, so many times um, about, you know, when is it acceptable if somebody wants to do it? And when is it not? Because uh, I'm sure George won't mind me sharing this, but we've both had struggles with our body image, with eating disorders, with compulsive exercise. And I think both of us have developed quite a, I don't know whether healthy relationship is the right word, but we're kind of okay with where we're at now. But then looking at somebody like you're saying, that's very obsessive about things. They're not having a rest day. They're eating only really specific foods. They're scrutinizing every inch of their body. If they're, I guess, satisfied and okay with that, whether they actually deep down are or whether they're doing it because they think they have to build this impression of being looking like that I think that's for me that's where the difference lies is that I didn't want to have that compulsion whereas if somebody enjoys bodybuilding are they okay with that 
I don't know whether I've made sense, but that's kind of the distinction I've made. In in terms of any sport, any athlete, like how how many of the sort of top athletes have really um, healthy quote <laughs> behaviors? Like you know, to be competitive in anything, it does kind of take that little bit of tunnel vision, I think. And that's another reason why we kind of wanted to bring in the idea of masculinity and, you know, because sort of traditional masculinity might say, oh, you've got, you know, men, men can be a bit blinkered if they've sort of got eyes on the prize kind of thing. And is there a correlation between, um, you know, that sort of way of thinking and being an athlete? Sorry, I totally interrupted you there, Tamar. <laughs> That's okay. I don't know um, if I can remember what I was going to say now anyway. Um, I think also, I, like, it's, I'm going to do it again, aren't I? <laughs> um, like, it's not, it's not even about weight cutting, and it's not something that we've talked about uh, much in the book, but there are a lot of other things that bodybuilders do to give them that competitive edge. Um, you know, taking performance-enhancing drugs, like uh, one of the bodybuilders that we photographed is a natural athlete, um, but the rest aren't. And it's a, it is a taboo subject, but it makes them, it gives them the edge on that performance, not performance on, on um, in their game, I guess. I think my opinion of steroid use is kind of the same as what I was maybe suggesting about the body dysmorphia in bodybuilding is I don't like the idea of it like being a taboo subject because I think if somebody wants to use performance enhancing drugs then by making it a taboo subject it's, it's kind of like eating disorders again the more and more kind of we shush about it it builds the stigma even more and then it means that people don't ask questions about is there a healthy way that I can do this they do it secretively and it becomes a lot more dangerous than what it could be if somebody said I I want to do this to give me the edge how do I do it in a safe manner and I think like I think just having that open conversation to make it not a taboo subject so that people if they do want to do it they know exactly why they're making the right decisions they've got the right people helping them and they're doing it in like the safest way possible not to say that I'm supporting the use of them but like I think that's the best way for it to be yeah and so then tying that into I think what you said earlier about um going into sports and having awareness around these things. I think there is a real onus on coaches. You know, if they're approached by someone who goes, oh, I've seen these athletes or these bodybuilders on Instagram, I wanna do that, you know, put me through a prep. Um, And you would agree with this, Hannah, I'm sure with what you do. You know, there are so many coaches out there who treat people like a spreadsheet or a a macro equation. And I think we need to kind of take the lid off of these taboos and say, look, if you want to go into this, um, this is what you should expect. This is what to look out for uh, along the process. If you start to feel triggered by doing this, by tracking that, by weighing that, you need to let me know, we need to speak about it. And I really feel like coaches need to have a level of, kind of uh, cognitive, emotional uh, training to help their clients as well. 
um, to make sure that they're not throwing themselves into a prep rather than dealing with bigger issues in their life uh, yeah. because that is a very common thing so uh, some of the bodybuilders actually have said you know the best prep of my life when I got that gold trophy was when I went through like the biggest heartbreak I was going I've broken up with my girlfriend of two years and I was heartbroken but I turned that tragedy into triumph and I'm like nodding listening I'm like yeah dude but you were really screwed up yeah <laughs> you know um so were you really coping or were you just trying to control another area of your life because you couldn't control the real issues at hand yeah um and what? so you know there's such a common thing now where people can go on google and get a, a budget coaching i'm a coach <laughs> after doing one weekend of training um and they haven't got the skill set to look beyond a macro calculator and identify disordered behaviors, listen to what their clients are saying, pick up on the nuances, look at the behaviors, ask them what else is going on in their life, what are they stressed about and why? Yeah. <laughs> and, and make them identify their thoughts and, and behaviors. Yeah, I could rant about that all day. As you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're completely right, though. I think as a coach, you have such a responsibility, especially mm. with athletes, especially when people are going into competitions or whatever, like you say, because I think a lot of the time athletes don't want to say this is this is actually a bit too much or, you know, I'm I'm struggling a little bit because you want to be the best at your game. You don't want to be. I'm using quote marks again here, seen as weak. Like that's the last thing that you want to be. And it's not in the slightest. I think it's actually would be stronger to set, to stand up and say, this is actually, this isn't working for me. Like I'm tired yeah. all the time or, you know, I'm really struggling, like you say, with these behaviors. Um, you know, just as a, an example, I cut in a powerlifting competition, my focus became getting into the weight category. I didn't give a crap about what I lifted I just wanted to be that weight and it just the shift was so dramatic but it ruined powerlifting for me that's why I don't powerlift anymore because I those weight cuts were too extreme for me and it just took the fun out of it but I you know I I, I didn't feel like I could say I don't want to do that mm. like and I think a really important sorry I'm cutting you up now I just wanted to add one more thing to this topic and then I will hand over to you. I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that I really try to get across to the athletes that I work with is, is that um, you need the ability to dial things up and dial things down um, at the right time. So there's, you know, there's no denying scientific methods um, and precision methods to achieving certain levels of body fat, muscle mass, you know, um, the science is there <laughs> and biology is biology. Precision methods are gonna work, but you don't have to live in that space all the time. So um, for professional athletes, yes, there is gonna be a level of pressure um, and certainly ones who where they're paid and it's their full-time job and they have yeah. sponsorship, you know, <laughs> they have got their meal plans and they've got a job to do and that's what they have to do. Um, but I think it's really important for people to understand that they don't have to live in that space. They don't have to maintain that weight. They don't have to maintain that physique 365 days of the year. 
use it when it matters the most, and then learn to be more lifestyle focused, family focused, um, work on other inner qualities for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just going to add one thing to what you were saying. So just still on the topic, um, like uh, me and Tamar had some mes messages yesterday, actually, it was um, actually kind of reframing stuff as like, this is an opportunity I get to do this. So even if you're um, on a harsh cut, not saying that I know what it's like to go through a prep, I don't. Um, but I know what it's like to cut to weight category. Um, I know what it's like to like to hold uh, my self-worth, attach that to, um, you know, what I'm lifting in powerlifting. Um, but all of this is a choice. And yeah, you you have it's an opportunity I guess it's not it's difficult sometimes perhaps to reframe it but I feel like for me that would make a huge difference if I kind of saw it that way rather than uh feeling like I'm missing something out or like you know I'm having to put myself through this yeah absolutely and I think I think it's holding the like ultimate goal at the end like I I'm using like an anecdotal personal story again, but when I did shift my mindset to I'm here to kind of better what I did last time and I'm here for my strength, I had a much better day than kind of when it was focused on more negative things. And like you said, sometimes you do have to put your body into a place that, you know, it doesn't sit naturally and that is going to be difficult. But I also think it's, it's kind of, what you're going to get out of it you know when you're doing it like you said professionally that's your job and you're competing and it's you know uh, that makes sense to me but I think there is a a danger of because that's how it is at the sort of top level it then trickles down to kind of regular athletes feeling like they have to do it as well um, and then they're the ones that don't have the coaches saying I'm here to support you. Mm. And social media has made that mm. all the more difficult because it's also accessible for people now. Uh, before, an athlete was a celebrity who was really on this super high pedestal. Now, an athlete is someone that you can interact with on Instagram and they're sharing their, you know, FDO with you. <laughs> um, or, you know, full, full day of eating for anyone who doesn't know what that is. <laughs> um, hashtag. <laughs> um, what their training regimen is and so as someone who actually is maybe holding down a nine-to-five job but you're a regular exerciser and a recreational competitor you start to think oh well I should be eating like that and I should be training like that neglecting to acknowledge the fact that that is the sole thing those athletes do <laughs> and they get paid for it and yeah. you doing that is not putting bread on your table and you're sucking the joy out of movement and sucking the joy out of your nutrition just to try and keep up with someone who's doing that for a full-time job yeah absolutely well thank you so much I have two questions that I ask at the end of every podcast but I'm going to twist them slightly for you two um so the first one that I wanted to ask is if somebody is listening to the podcast and whether they recognize it in themselves or in one of their loved ones, what do you think would be your top tip or your best advice for somebody that is struggling with, you know, maybe body dysmorphia or disordered eating, some of the things we've talked about today? 
what would be your top tip for them to get support? I'd say go to Kmart. (laughs) (laughs) Or Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I would like to say is um, if we are applying this question specifically to men, I think the issue doesn't end with men. I think there's a lot that us as women can do. That help. was my next question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, exactly. question. <laughs> okay, so the next question was, um, as females, how do you think we can act as allies for men who are dealing with issues that we've commented on today? So I was pondering on this um, when I was writing the foreword for the book, actually. And I think as women, we're always saying... Uh, you know, to men, open up, communicate better, uh, be vulnerable, get emotional. But the problem is, for us growing up, we were raised on Disney princesses and knights in shining armour that come in on their horse and save the day and, and save the damsel in distress. Invariably, what can happen, um, by no fault of our own, it's our own conditioning, but this is what happens. When a man finally does open up and share a vulnerability with a woman, sometimes it's almost like the rose-tinted specks have fallen off for us. Or we can maybe treat them with a little less dignity or less respect, kind of look at them differently and not um, hold them in as high regard as we did before. Um, And so it's really important that if you encourage conversation Uh, with a man if a man opens up and says that he is struggling about any of these topics that not only do you listen you don't treat them any differently and you really are wholeheartedly there as a a support without any resentfulness towards them um, or treating them like less of a man. I'm so glad you said that because I think that we are sort of making it a bigger making it more difficult than it needs to be there's all this you know how how do we talk to a man about their mental health or how do we do this it's like exactly the same way just talk to them as though you would talk to them normally it doesn't need to be a big spectacle that's the last thing that they want definitely from what I've heard perhaps more likely to kind of open up uh whilst doing something as well like Mm. um you know just uh and kind of allow them to come to you as well like not sort of like you say put them under pressure like oh yeah I've noticed you're a bit like this tell me more um yeah that's 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 all that I've kind of heard from the guys they like to open up on their own terms I guess I think you're right and I think that's what I always try and achieve is to give someone the knowledge that you are a safe space and you're there for them but kind of you're there for them when they're ready um I think and that's the same with anybody really is just making sure that they know you're there for them when they want to talk about stuff if they do if they don't you know sometimes they just have a general chat and make sure that they're okay like that's all I think it's just checking in on people isn't it um 
Oh, I was just going to say, it's okay. Like, um, there's there's been a, a couple of people as well that have sort of like, we've had a lot of dialogue with um, throughout the project that have been really helpful. Um, James Elliott, who we photographed uh, for the project as well. Um, he's a mental resilience coach. He used to be a paratrooper, had injury, and is really, really passionate about men's mental health. Um, and also the Tin Men as well, super supportive. And they've both got loads of, really good content on their Instagram, um, which is kind of geared more, to, especially the Tin Men towards men's mental health, because um, just, yeah, their, their thing is to sort of fill in the gaps of the, the gender uh, divide at the moment. Um, okay. So yeah, definitely recommend those as well. If yes. That, going back to your question. <laughs> I shall put their details in the, um, in the box below, the little description below. Um, so thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you both so much. I, honestly, I want to carry on talking to you for hours, but I feel like it is now bedtime. Um, so yeah, <laughs> thank you both so much. Um, I hope you have enjoyed yourself as much as I have. And good luck with the rest of the project. I'll put all the details to everything in the description below. And please go and check it out because I've said it a thousand times, but I think it's an amazing project. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having us, Hannah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed recording that episode with Amy Rose and Tamar. I think it's so important that we carry on raising awareness of the issues that men face mentally and also to recognise that just because somebody looks physically strong doesn't mean that they don't need a space to share what's going on with them you know their insecurities their difficulties it's so important that they feel that they can be open about that i also love the fact that we spoke about identity because i think often this is something people struggle with in eating disorder recovery and just kind of realizing who am i going to be without my eating disorder which is going to be an absolutely wonderful person but it is also a scary concept Next week we'll be joined by Sarah Barron who is a PhD student at Cambridge and I met Sarah through competing at Unichamps which is a powerlifting competition. With Sarah we chatted about her history of her eating disorder, the sports that she's competed, her recent ADHD diagnosis and how together she's actually been really positive about all the things that she's been through and how it's made her a more successful person today. I suppose sport was the only thing I knew. So yeah, I guess it is identity. It was like who I was and I love sport. I love training. But then there's always two sides to the coin, right? I think my eating disorder had a love-hate relationship with my sports because on one hand, it was a way for me to be healthy. But then on the other hand, you know, there's lots of different ways that eating disorder thoughts can kind of creep into other areas of your life. At the time, I thought, I, you know, I was being super healthy, like I was eating really clean, in quote marks, clean, <laughs> eating really clean, training really hard. But then in hindsight, you know, there's this term now, orthorexia, which isn't like an official diagnosis, but it is a term that I can really relate with. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment. Not only those struggling with eating disorders, but also their loved ones, as this can be a very difficult time for everyone.
Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!